This week on a lively experiment, the first top tier candidate for next year's governor's race makes it official with a different kind of announcement. And as the great unmasking continues in Rhode Island, people and businesses are adjusting to the new normal. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr. and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Dan McGowan, columnist for the Boston Globe, former Attorney General Arlene Violet, and Bob Walsh, Executive Director for the National Education Association, Rhode Island. And welcome to Lively, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. Secretary of State Nellie Gorbea was the first major candidate out of the gate this week for what promises to be a crowded field in next year's governor's race. The announcement was expected, but the timing surprised some people. Um, surprising for some, but Dan McGowan, you wrote a column, maybe not so surprising. Yeah, I think especially for Nellie Gorbea, who's gonna, who needs to fundraise, needs to be able to get out there with a lot of the women's groups, needs to <clears throat> excuse me, jump ahead of Mayor Lorza when it comes to grabbing some of the Latino national groups. Um, I thought it made a lot of sense for her to jump in the race. The question now, though, is now that you're a candidate, do, you know, are you going to be expected to uh, fi you know, fire shots at, at Dan McKee? Are you going to you know, have to weigh in, you know, have policy proposals constantly? Because... We have a real long time. I mean, two summers of campaigning now. Uh, but I think for fundraising purposes, it made a lot of sense specifically for her. Um, and, she, you know, she gets a jump on the competition. A she bit. also did this soft opening. You know, it used to be you'd stand in front of the state house and you'd have the big thing and whatever. She kind of quietly released that YouTube video. W what about that strategy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, feel like I'm old enough to remember uh, Gina Raimondo, uh, you know, needing to come out. And I think she had, you know, <laughs> eight, nine uh, uh, Providence Democrats come out because she was running against the Providence Democrat, right. Angel Taveras. Right. Uh, this was way different. I think she also knew, right? This was a, a way for her to be able to, when she sends fundraising letters, when she makes calls, she can say, I'm running for governor. It's out there. It's public. Um, I'm sure she will somehow have some reboots with balloons uh, sometime next year as well. She's going to have to answer some questions, too, because, as you know, she's been dodging them on the predicate that that's not the Secretary of State's job, so I'm not answering these questions now. So the honeymoon is over, but I think she's a formidable candidate. She certainly has done a great job as Secretary of State, but the more crowded the field gets, I think the worse it is for all of them that enter uh, that particular race. It's really hard, but as we all know in politics, anything can happen. I'd be interested to see, yeah, if God forbid, uh, people don't take a booster shot if one's needed. Will there be any reversals in COVID? But short of something like that, I just can't see uh, people toppling McKee. He came in at the very best time. Uh, Gina Raimondo did have a fabulous rollout of the vaccine. Uh, it went well. The economy is coming back. So he's able to ride that, uh, I think, into uh, his own election uh, the next time. So I, I think they all have their hands full, including Nellie. It's been a fascinating year for the governor's race already, and it's not an even-numbered an even numbered year. I think, uh, as to the specific question, uh, Nellie had no choice but to announce as soon as the Providence Journal ran an article saying it was a two-way race and she wasn't one of the names. So if you're making fundraising and national calls and somebody you call who doesn't know you well Googles Rhode Island and sees two-way race, they say, well, gee, are you even running? You're not an announced candidate. So the simple 
simple okay. solution to that is announce, right? Everyone knows she, uh, Nellie was going to run, so why not announce and take that mystery away? Um, and it will certainly help her with her uh, national fundraising. I, I think it is going to be one of the most fascinating races we've seen in a long time. If you're a Democrat, you've got a lot of options. Uh, and I've said in the media, be uh, media before, I think with Gina leaving and Dan McKee becoming governor, he becomes the de facto front runner. That clears out um, uh, the national question of, well, there's already a Democratic incumbent. Theoretically, the Democratic Governors Association wants to uh, take the path of least resistance and support the, uh, the incumbent. Um, but we've got, uh, if you're a Democrat, you've got three strong candidates with decent resumes who have acquitted themselves well in their job. Mm -hmm. Again, the incumbent's in the catbird seat. The economy's going to come back as long as things stay lined up with vaccinations and everything else. But uh, both uh, Seth Magaziner and Nellie Gorbea have acquitted themselves well in their down-ballot jobs and have a story to tell. Now, that doesn't, I, I'm not, in all honesty, and you know, all due respect, I don't see the mayor of Providence's candidacy as as strong as the uh, three uh, yeah. that have statewide office. And there's always the possibility of a player to be named later, but the price of admission goes up every day. Um, if I wanted to run for governor, barring a lottery win, I'm already so far there behind. There was a point on this set run. that you hinted you might be running for uh, governor in those days. Ago. And he uh, does play the lottery. Ago. He does. Yeah. Arlene, as you <laughs> like to say, it's about the do-re-mi. Yeah. Uh, Seth Magaziner's leading. Uh, Jorge Alorza has just shy of a million dollars. Uh, then Nelly Gorbet and then Dan McKee, and that's going to go up. I wonder what Bob said about tapping into that national money. First, she, and she's also the first Latina running. Yes. How much that helps? Uh, well, I think it helps her, but I, I think Lieutenant Governor Matos gives a certain bulletproof to... McKee, he's talked about the fact that he is the governor, he's running with her. We're going to show why this linkage between the governor and lieutenant governor really ought to happen, etc. They're et attached at the hip at this and they're point. Right. Right. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I one, think it's yeah. fabulous. The one thing Gina never did, she copied a lot of things from Charlie Baker, but the one thing she never copied, right. Charlie Baker always shows up in Massachusetts with his lieutenant governor yeah. But because they run team, on the same ticket. But still, it never They are at the hip here. because they and, win and lose and together on the ballot. And I think that uh, Governor McKee right. is showing that game. it could work like yeah. that, and it probably should I think the like most that. intriguing thing about this governor's race is it won't be a public thing, but where do the Gina Raimondo supporters go, and where does Gina yes. Raimondo go? Uh, now, remember, she's going to move on. She's going to be, she's likely to buy a home in D.C. She's going to be a little less tapped you in. Think I think she's really going to endorse somebody? I don't know that she'll endorse, but she she certainly likes to have an influence. She they, likes to, you know, right. be on the phone way in. Influence without endorsement, because I don't know if a cabinet member is allowed yeah, to right. play yeah, politics. That's right. What about what about this whole deal that and I hope we've seen local down-to-earth candidates, then the national consultants come in. Now, I don't know whether this was Nellie Gorbea. First, she referred to the Department of State. I've never heard anybody... I've <laughs> thought about Madeleine Albright coming in, you know, to broker peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians when you say Department of State. And then she talks about the produce guy. <laughs> uh, oh, you know, I, I was uh, shopping at my local grocery store, and the guy said, you really need to run for governor. And I don't... I, it's a page out of Gina Raimondo. Hey, Gov. And so uh, I, hey, <laughs> my feeling is knock that off. But, I mean, wh when she said that, did that strike you as a little odd? Well, it makes us all have to ask every candidate, what's the price of milk these days? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Those How much was that head of lettuce, right? right? Let, me, let me concur in part and disagree in part. I, I don't think we'll ever hear, hear it called the Department of State again. The Department of State? Who calls I, it I've that? Known, I've known them all for a long time. I've known Nellie for a long time. And when I talked to her about her interest and now her candidacy, she 
absolutely talks about the conversation she has in the grocery store. I have run into her in stores before, so I and and I think that that story is not a made-up story. I absolutely I think believe Bob people Walsh come up would to tell her. her to run. I'm not sure the meat guy is going <laughs> to oh, say, no, I, "Oh, I we mean, need you as governor." Remember, we're we're a, our folks are involved. The produce guy's a union member. If she's shopping at a union uh, supermarket, well, which that's she better a be. <laughs> <laughs> one, thing, one thing I will give Nellie cool. Gourmet a lot of credit for is she's a true policy wonk, right? Yes. If she can get to the point where she's a very viable candidate, if she's fundraising, when she's on the debate stage, she, she will be very yeah. formidable. She'll be able to uh, stand out. She, she is smarter than some of the people that and are And she's running. great in person, too. Mm -hmm. She's very Lovely personable. Person. What about that? Being yourself versus having to listen to the consultants now, there's a lot more than when you ran for office. They seem to have, and I know Sheldon Whitehouse, who I ran into in Sports Authority once, and I said, hey, you want to come on when I was doing the Sunday show at Channel 6? And he said, Sure. The consultant said, well, we can book you three months from now. I, like, so yeah. that drives me a little yeah. nutty. Uh, actually, I mean, Nellie's got a great personality, and that's definitely going to work for her because she can relate to people. Uh, Dan McKee does also. Yeah. I mean, he has a very folksy kind of style uh, as well. So uh, people vote for people because they like them. And I think sometimes consultants overdo it, yeah, uh, and they raise matters that the average person doesn't care about. And I also think there's a different mentality now with voters post-COVID. Uh, th this has taught a lot of people a lot of lessons, and I think they're looking for R-E-A-L. They're looking for real people, uh, and she has that in spades. Just a quick, uh, we, we did this before when we were back on Zoom. We are now two, two and a half months into the governor, the new governor. Just a quick scorecard on how he's doing and I mean, what he needs to do maybe going forward. He's had, I think, a, a, as good of a run as you could have so far, right? He's been able to reopen the economy. The vaccines have worked incredibly well. Um, I think it's going to continue in that way, short of maybe some sort of, you know, variant that comes back. So We're washing money for the first time <laughs> in a long time, endless money right? coming in. So I, he's in a very good spot for re-election, but also just as the governor right now. People should feel pretty good about where we are compared to a year ago, for sure. What do you B think? plus. B plus. Yeah, setting aside, I obviously disagree with him on issues. I think any missteps are recoverable. You know, it's, it's like you start off Broadway before you go to Broadway. I think they're doing fine. I mean, I think they're still getting their sea legs under them, but there was no real a transition without a specific date is always hard to run. Um, so in some senses, they're in tr transition mode. But yeah, B plus, A minus. I mean, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and, and, he's, and he loves the job. Yeah. And that's coming across. Yeah, yes. you could tell that. Um, and he has visited all 39 communities five times over. Right, so when uh, he shows up at the bakery in Westerly, they're like, hey, Dan, we haven't seen you Later for a while. today, I will be with him at the bill signing at CCRI for the continuation of the Rhode Island Promise uh, uh, you know, scholarship program for uh, students at CCRI, and that's terrific. And well, whoever's he providing was the pens is having to work overtime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. You get a, a pen. There could be a pen shortage. <laughs> all right, folks. Of all the work. Uh, we are uh, a little more than a week into the great unmasking, as I like to call it. And look, this is a work in progress. I think the governor said it correctly. We've got to be respectful of each other. Some people still want to wear masks. That's fine. I wonder as you guys go out and about. Um, 
how you feel it's going and personal you know, level. I think two months from now we're probably going to be having a different discussion. But how have you felt, Arlene, going in and out of businesses and, and, and all of that? Yeah, I mean, I'm fully vaccinated, plus well beyond the 14 days. But right. I tend to always bring a mask with me. Sometimes I have to go into Massachusetts and there's a little lag time between what they allow and not. But I, I see it as a social justice issue, that you really have a responsibility to protect other people as well. So uh, when in doubt, I put my mask on. I don't care that people say, oh, you know, what are you, scaredy cat or something, you old lady? <laughs> right. Forget about it. No, I, well, I'm going to put it on. you're being respectful of other people, Because it, it really is. And, and I want to make sure that they feel okay and that they're comfortable. So I just hope people keep up the social contract and don't diss anybody with or without the mask. Well, isn't it funny? You and I live uh, in Barrington, and we, I go up to Route 6 a lot, and I was like, great, oh, I cannot take my mask. Well, Governor, huh? ba- oh, Governor Baker is not going to be until this Saturday, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I had to go back to the car and get yeah. it for yeah. one of the shops. Yeah. Bob, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with Arlene. Uh, I'm also fully vaccinated beyond the 14-day window, which feels great. It's yes. wonderful. I'll wear my mask in the grocery store so other people yeah. are comfortable. Um, I'm happy to not wear it in the outdoor settings. Um, you know, I was thinking about this in, in the bigger picture. There was a, a senator in the 40s, Arthur Vandenberg, who said, uh, you know, Politics ends at the water's edge talking about foreign policy. I think politics has to end in the pandemic. We should not be politicizing fights over vaccinations. And to answer all the other questions, uh, in fact, I've said this, uh, not in this way, but to the governor when he asked, well, what do you think about this in the schools? I said, get the doctors to agree. You know, we should be like the commercial. If four, if four out of five doctors say this makes sense, <laughs> then let's do it, right? So uh, I know Dan is a coach, and, and getting the masks off the kids when they're playing sports on the field is, is a priority for the coaches. And, and my advice is if the doctors say do it, then do it. If the they gov- say wait, then wait. The governor, <laughs> and I thought it was premature, about a month ago he said, well, we anticipate them having masks on in the fall. I don't think you can make that call four months think, earlier. I don't think you can make Do you anticipate with everything we're going back to full capacity and all that with schools? Again, I know you want to follow the science, but don't you think we're going to be back to unmasked kids in the fall? I think that, but I, uh, you know, I since day one, I've said, uh, you know, you've got to follow the science and medicine on this. And I think that, I mean, the trend is good, but as Arlene said, what happens if something else happens? It's so, the booster issue, isn't it? Yeah. Do, yes or no, do you need a booster after six months? As you know, they just started vaccinations back in December. Mm. So every month they have to keep putting that on and on and on to see how long the vaccines and, and, and are going to last. And that we live at a time where we could get this figured out in yeah. a year yeah. and it's reopen. Also, this is classic. Yeah. This is cl- for on the schools debate. It's a classic adults conversation. Kids like wearing their masks. They got their Spider-Man yeah. mask. They got their, you know, it, it can be fun. I, I coach, you know, uh, little kids, seven, eight-year-olds in the baseball field. It can be a little bit annoying because, you know, who's got gum in their mask and who's, you know. <laughs> is that a little bit of gray hair I see popping up? I, know, I, I feel like I've done a lot seven of Seven and yeah. eight year yeah. old. You know, oh, that's great word. until the kid comes home with a Superman mask and say, didn't you leave with Spider-Man? Ah, I traded with my friend at lunch. And you go, oh, well, this is not the system working the way it's, it's, it's supposed like to work. It's, it's like juice boxes. It's like juice boxes. Yes, yes. But, you know, it is. I mean, it isn't, uh, it isn't the biggest deal in the world for the kids. You have parents who really want, you know, want everybody to wear masks still, things like that. It can 
can, like I said, it can be annoying, but I think we can all overcome it. It's not going to be that big of a deal a few months from now. And so it seems like we, you know, we can get through a, a baseball season, for example, uh, you know, requiring masks. Well, it's going to be great to see. I mean, Fenway is going to be at full capacity yeah. pretty soon. The Bruins and the Celtics, they, if they go into the, into the playoffs. The one thing I found interesting, I went to the bank yesterday. We're taping on a Friday morning. I actually went to the bank for the first time. I had I had sold something. I had cash. I wanted to deposit it. Usually I do it online. And I walked in without a mask. And the, the teller was very nice. She said, hey, do you have a mask? And I said, yeah, I keep one in my back pocket. And so when I got up there, I said, what's the deal? I said, is that the bank's policy? Of course, I went into a little yeah. interrogation mode. I wondered what <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what is all, what's up with this? I don't have to wear the mask. And she said, yeah. But she said, I, I she said to me, she said, I... I think they're going to change it next week. I think they're just being very cautious yeah. in terms, and I think that's what we're going to see right. over the course of the yeah. summer, right. don't you? Uh, that's lawyers, right, doing that. I mean, I I have friends that are in uh, brokers, et cetera, and they wear their masks because that the lawyers tell them to. If you ever gave COVID to somebody, we don't want to have the issue. So eat outside. Put your mask on. We don't want to hear it. So I, I think that's going to cause a lag before the masks come off. And I don't mind it, though. We, yeah, and so be it, you know. We had a decision this week from House Speaker uh, Joe Sakarchi that oh. they are going back to the State House. The Senate has decided to stay at Rhode Island College. Uh, Dan, I love these. Uh, when they lay it out, it's like they're paying $500,000. There's $50,000 for snacks and meals. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, that's going to be it either way. I do wonder there has been a bit of a disconnect with people trying to interact with government. Yeah. Now, Zoom helps us in some ways, but there's nothing like being able to look at your legislator and not have, oh, you know, we got to cut you off after a minute or whatever. I don't know that we're going to get back to that this session. But I've heard a lot of people say, why can't the state house reopen if we're getting back? Why can't we go to a hearing? Yeah, it makes it, you know, it leads to this inevitable conversation that what do they have to hide, yes. right? Which is not always the case by any means. Uh, sometimes it is, <laughs> but uh, it's not always the case. And I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm hearing from a lot of, you know, the the more sort of uh, aggressive activists who really want to be in the room to be able to do what they do best, which is influence their, you know, lawmakers or, in, you know, influence their city council members on things. It's particularly uh, difficult, forget the state house, although that's the important conversation here, at the very local level where zoning decisions get made, things like that where neighborhood groups have tons of influence. Right now they don't really. Um, I think they got to get back to having these open meetings. To your point, though, it has been very good uh, for folks who can call in, who don't have to park in front of Providence City Hall at or 5 o'clock every dinner, night. Things like right? Exactly. That's exactly. exactly right. if, yeah, for two minutes of testimony, the right to call in is something I hope is always available forevermore. Um, I actually understand the ruling because I've been around forever, and I remember that brief period of time where they tried to restrict lobbyists from the floor of the State House, but not the general public, and they said, no, the rules have to be consistent. And I suspect the pro I don't know this, but I suspect the problem that they're worried about in Open It Up are the protests, where everybody is elbow to elbow, filling the rotunda, 500 people, either for guns or against guns or for choice or against choice. Because if you open the building, you can't say, oh, you can only come testify. You can't come, you know, use your freedom of speech. So, they're so closing what, the, the so, building now closes at 3 yeah. o'clock. So, so what's <laughs> right? another month? Because we'll be back to North. They're going to be back in the fall to deal with the federal money. We'll be back next year. Arlene's but shaking I her hope, head. But I hope 
they always have the opportunity for people to call in and do testimony because that makes it easier for a lot of working folks to do it without having to schlep up there, wait for three hours to speak for two minutes. Yeah, as long as that's not the tail wagging the dog. I mean, enough already. They're neutering democracy. I mean, going in there and protesting elbow to elbow, that, that's what it's all about. And frankly, 70 uh, percent, I've heard Dan McKee say today, Friday, that uh, people have been vaccinated here in the state. They've used that excuse of, of records. Oh, we're going to have extensions. We're going to take more days on and on before we respond uh, to a request for open records. Come on now, let's get with the program. It's about time, kick into gear, get up there at the state house, open it, uh, and let's get back to democracy, not just the economy. Let's get back to democracy. Oh, to be clear, though, you can still protest outside. I mean, you could still be on the plaza or on the lawn or anything. You can, yeah, yeah, way yeah. over there. If you're out there, as a former protester, I know, how, and you do too from the banking <laughs> crisis, we can be loud enough outside to be heard. Yeah, inside. if you're out there, you might <laughs> want to protest than I have. If you're I'm out there, the uh, Governor McKee might wind up giving you a pen if you're outside. Right. If you're not <laughs> the one thing I was going to say is, is it, from the journalistic perspective, one really important thing is I do think reporters. Uh, uh, yeah. should be able to, you know, hold uh, yeah. lawmakers and others accountable when it comes to their votes, right? And it is, I find it strange, you know, Zoom and everything has been much easier to access people, except for when they vote. It's hard to call them up, and yeah. sometimes they, they send you, you know, send you to voicemail. And in, in normal times, you know, you can go up to a person and say, Senator, why'd you vote this way, yeah. that sort of thing. That's neutering democracy. <laughs> there you go. Well, the press is in, though, right? You're, you're allowed. That's right. I'm saying you're broadly allowed. Oh, okay. for, yeah, for yeah, other yeah. public meetings. You'll be in the building. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's right. All right. Let's, uh, actually, let's do outrageous, then I got one other thing I want to talk about. Uh, Ms. Violet, do you have an outrage or a kudo today? Yeah, I'm disappointed. You know, uh, May 25th, of course, was the anniversary of the murder of George Floyd, uh, the uh, baloney that is going on in the U.S. Senate uh, in order to get accountability, particularly like the police. Former Attorney General, I know how wonderful most cops are. They're brave. They're wonderful. They're public servants. We've got to get rid of the bad apples. And frankly, there's got to be accountability among police officers who know that they are the bad apples and don't blow the whistle. I feel that same way about sexual abuse by priests. Mm. There were bad apples, get rid of them, but there were too many priests who knew it too and didn't say a word about Father so-and-so. So I hope the U.S. Senate finally kicks into gear and gets some accountability because it hurts all the good cops who are, are, are looking just like the bad cops. It's in their best interest to get accountability, and let's get on with that program. Bob, what do you have? Let's stay on the accountability theme. Um, literally since I was in high school, I've been trying to figure out government under one question. Who decides? And in hmm. Providence, uh, when they threw the keys on the table or they threw the keys in the air to the Providence school system, and I'm not entirely sure, sure who caught the keys. I thought it was the Board of Education, the State Board of Education. But good, bad, or indifferent in what deal they cut with the superintendent in exit mode and you know paying him essentially half his salary to leave, who made that decision? Nobody voted on that decision because if you want to petition government to redress your grievances, you need to know who made the decision, and nobody voted on that. No, we don't know who, if you are as passionate as I am about both arts and computer science education, Providence just cut out an arts program to put in a computer science program. My position would be, and I don't represent Providence, it would be have both. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and who do I protest to? It's not the Providence School Committee anymore, but... If they did not vote on 
the contract or the termination of the contract of the now former superintendent in Providence, who do you go to? It can't be the commissioner unilaterally making these decisions. We need government oversight of this, whether the House and the Senate team up to do it, whether the Board of Ed takes back their power, which I don't think they intended to delegate. We need a meeting. We need, we need a place to go, even if it's on Zoom, to say this was wrong and fix it. Or at least we need people to vote on these things so we can hold them accountable. We're going to live iterate on Providence Schools in just a second, but let's let's. Yeah, uh, I want to. I, I'm agreeing full. All right, so let's go uh, outrage kudos. I'll, I'll give you my, my quick outrage is an outrage about an outrage. I'm getting constant email. I live in Providence. I cover Providence for a long time. Constant emails, phone calls, these speed, speed humps, humps. In, Pro- <laughs> in Providence. You guys. Slow down. Stop driving so fast. It's not that big of a deal. I live on a cut-through street, Mount uh, Mount Pleasant Avenue and Smith Street. Right through. People fly through there. There are kids playing in the streets. We now have speed humps there. It has made things dramatically better. All right, point, counterpoint, quickly. Just make them, just bring them down a little bit. They I drive a little car. You have to go to two miles an hour to go over, and some guy rear ends you. Come on now. Jim Hummel wants to hit kids playing basketball. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what it is. All right, we'll continue. I don't care about children at all. Let's go back to what Bob was saying about Providence schools. Here's why Bob is 100% right. This has been a frustration since the beginning of the takeover for me. You can't get basic information about what's happening because you don't know who's making those decisions. I'm talking about budgets, right? They have like a four or five hundred million dollar budget. It's hard to get, you know, what changed from year to year. Two years running now, this is how it's been. It's exactly right. I think uh, I've said, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I think the Council on uh, Elementary and Secondary Education should create some sort of Providence subcommittee or something like that. There has to be some level of oversight. Um, Now, look, bureaucracy was part of, everybody said, part of the problem in the takeover, but you went from too many layers to uh, seemingly the commissioner doing everything on her own, which she's also supposed to be running the entire state (laughs) education department. So I think it's a huge problem. They need more oversight. Yeah, you you know, union creds snuck out here with your comments. I I, I partially disagree with both of you, except for the accountability. Look, you know, as we know, Senator Goodwin puts a bill in. It's got to be done in two years. Kids in Providence need the best school system going. They're already these poor kids behind the eight ball. We have got to give them a good education. We don't have a contract yet. That's a lot of people's faults, including the unions, not just the other side of that equation. So, yes, we need accountability. I love the idea of a subcommission. But putting a timeline after 15 months of a lot of kids not going to school. On the state takeover you're talking about. The the state takeover should not have the clock running out on it to 2023. Yeah, and I did not. I didn't put this in as a union issue. I don't represent Providence. I care deeply about Providence. Long before I was in the union movement, but when I knew Arlene, I was involved in volunteers in Providence schools and the Lipidil tutorial and everything. Uh, We do, you know, do volunteer work still in, in one of the schools in Providence. I know how hard everybody's working to try and make things better, but I just don't know who to go and complain to. Like, when they made that really, really bad decision at the Board of Ed level, uh, uh, regarding trying to get rid of the program for the blind and visually impaired, right. we knew right. we w- well we went to the legislature to redress our grievances so they could tell the uh, you know elementary and secondary ed this is a really important program yeah. let's keep it and we won that fight because it was an important fight to have. I don't represent those teachers I care about the kids who are impacted by that program I 
care about that wonderful program they were running in theater in a middle school in Providence because I know it's one of the ways kids get motivated to and, stay. And to your, but who do I complain and to? And to your point, Arlene, <laughs> we've really had a lost year for everybody with That's the right. pandemic. Not only, I mean, even the kids in the best schools have, have really struggled. So, I mean, I think give it some more time. But what I haven't understood is why haven't they gone in and just imposed the contract? That was the whole thing initially. Yeah, I mean, look. Politics gets in the way. One, it is true I that it is forever. it is better to <laughs> it, it's definitely true that it's better to negotiate yeah. than to blow things up. There's no doubt about that. But this idea that you can blow things up—that's the operation that they think they can do. But it's a Bob's point. They're gonna end up in court for a really long time. I think you had a governor Raimondo who wanted to, uh, you know, move things along and negotiate. I think she wanted to get that done. I think you have a new governor who's running for auction next year, right? So it, it, they want to negotiate more than blow things up. You know, I think it's a legitimate debate to be had, though, about when is enough enough. All right. I am sorry. That is all the time we have. What an all-star panel. Bob and Arlene and Dan, you should have seen the, you should have seen the pregame show before we came on. That's what we really should have uh, taped in the green room. It's great to be back together with all of you, and it's good to be back with you. Uh, folks, if you don't catch us Friday or Sunday, you can catch us online on Facebook, Twitter, and our fav- your favorite podcast, wherever you get that. You never know what's going to happen, but we'll be here next week to recap it all as a lively experiment continues. We hope you have a great week. Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.